Hi, this is Ed Sharlack, writer of television shows for 45 years and counting. And uh, you're listening to Then Is Now podcast. Warning, warning. Today's episode contains spoilers. So if you have not seen the movie or TV show that we are talking about, we highly recommend that you watch it first, then listen to this episode. Thank you. Rise and shine, my sinners. When Father Evil starts his day, he gets a little deadly. Deadly Grounds Coffee has the richest, smoothest flavor you'll find anywhere. It's sinfully delicious. Once you go deadly, you never go back. Order yours at getdeadly.com. Coffee's so good, it's scary. of Halloween. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Then Is Now Podcast's yearly 13 Days of Halloween event. I'm your host, Rigor, and joining me once again is Juan Ortiz from the B-Movie Cast. How's it going, Juan? Really good there, Roger. How are you doing? How's everything coming along with you? Uh, so far, so good. You know, I, like I said, I've got the uh, three podcasts, the one live video show, and now the four um, the f- four blogs, one of which is the John Saxon yeah. blog, which, by the way, right. I just I just watched um, the movie The Bees the other day. That was good, the John Saxon oh. film. Yeah, that's a really a pretty good, cool film. Yeah, I like I like that. You know, he he did you know he did quite a couple of horror films. You know, I mean, I I really enjoyed John Saxon's films, the horror one. He did a lot of sci-fi ones too. I enjoy his sci-fi, like The Queen from Outer Space. is one of my favorites. But uh, he was very versatile. But The Bees is pretty cool. That's a cool flick. Yeah, yeah, that was a good one. So that'll probably be my next John Saxon blog. Okay. So, what have you what have you been up to? Been to any shows or anything? Well, I'm getting ready. As a matter of fact, that we speak, uh, I'm getting ready to uh, to go to the Mid Atlantic Nostalgia Convention coming up in a couple of weeks. It's going to be on September the eighth uh, in Maryland, over there up in Baltimore, up there, in Hunt Valley. Wow! And, uh, I'm going there for a four day event. Uh, but basically, it's on the, not on the horror side or the sci fi side, but it's going to be more on the uh, uh, nostalgia side, oh, cool. great pop culture and uh, uh, TV, uh, you know, TV shows and uh, uh, noir and musicals and things like that, more comedy and things of that nature. But uh, th- of course, I incorporated some horror into that, some of the uh, 40s and 50s films, you know, from that from the time. But it's a pretty good show because they bring a lot of celebrities, and this year they have a huge lineup of celebrities attending the mid-atlantic convention up in uh in baltimore and i'm really looking forward to that so i'm getting ready for that and then uh when i come back october is going to be a very very busy month for me september too because i come back from the mid-atlantic and i'll be heading up to uh orlando 
for the Phantasm, which is a horror convention. It's going to be on the 12th and 13th uh, of the month of September. And then right after that, I'll be getting ready for uh, Monster Bash in October, which is on the 14th, 15th, and 16th of the month, I believe, up in, uh, in uh, Pennsylvania, up there in uh, Pittsburgh. Nice. Nice. That's well, awesome. Well, I've got a busy schedule for the next two months. I'll be... I'll be doing four shows. It's back, almost like back-to-back shows because the rest of the year, I really don't have anything going up until Chiller. Now, in October, I'll be doing Chiller right after Monster Bash will be the last one. It's just Chiller up in New Jersey. I'll be doing that show. And that'll be it for the end until you know, until next year, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. I'd love to get to more of those shows. I We're hopefully in uh, September. I mean, folks, you're going to be getting this in October, but um i'll be headed out to um with the wife we're gonna head to um vandegrift pennsylvania to the riverside drive-in because every april and every october they do this thing called the drive-in monsterama and they play four horror movies on a friday night and four you know classic horror movies on a saturday night so it's like it's like a two full nights of staying up all night watching horror movies at the drive-in it's awesome you know that is that that's pretty cool because i think um Ron Adams from the Monster Bash. Yes, he does. He does that uh, that Vandergrift drive-in thing. You know, every every year he he goes up there and he sets up shop there in the uh, uh, concession stand, and then they have the drive-in and people tent out and they sleep you know overnight in tents and stuff like that, and and then watch the movies. I yeah. mean, it's, it's 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 you know I wouldn't be able to attend that that convention that that outing, but. He also does the theater. He has a, a he shows the films on a, in a, on, a, on a grand theater that's uh, like you know real with stage and everything. It's one of these um, old um, Parisian theaters. And uh, he, this, as a matter of fact, this past weekend he had the event where they were showing all monster and sci-fi movies. He's getting ready for the big event for October because he's promoting Robot Monster. Um, you know, he's going to have the celebrities from the Robot Monster film. Wow. And plus, yeah, plus the release of the Blu-ray in 3D that came out, which is really phenomenal. You got to see that one, though, Roger. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah, I talk to him every time I go there. And, you know, the two of us, every time we get talking, I'm like, all right, I got to get you on the show. He's like, yeah, yeah, I got to do it. And then we both forget or we're too busy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know how it is, man, when you've got a busy schedule. You know, you try to, you know, try to go here, go there, and you know, you know which way you go. But I, I, I usually was pretty heavy throughout the year, but I slowed down a lot ever since COVID and pandemic, and you know, things kind of slowed down a bit for me. So I'm down to basically maybe five shows a year right now. But I used to do eight to ten a year, and then this was before the COVID hit, the pandemic. 2018, 2017. Yeah, I was yeah. I was traveling, doing a lot of shows and traveling a lot. You know, doing the uh, the Comic Con circuit. I was doing the Comic Con circuit, uh, going to like the all these comic shows and stuff like that, and anime conventions and all kinds of stuff. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're hopefully um, trying to think if it's. I think in September we're going to try and get up to this one way up in Bangor, Maine. That's going to have a lot of uh, TV and movie people there, but it's a, it's a Comic Con. Um, but that'll oh, be fun. Okay. Been to a couple of those. Covered cool, them for the show. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. So, all right. So, Juan, you were here. We talked about this off mic um, last year when we did some Mexican vampire movies, and uh, also just to let the folks know, you are a regular 
guest every once in a while on my live monthly show, Fright Lounge. So I'm happy to have you again here today for this discussion about Mexican werewolf movies. Awesome. Thank you. Cool. It's a pleasure being on the show. Excellent, excellent. And folks, if you haven't already figured it out, this year's theme is werewolf movies, and we're going to discuss two Mexican horror films. The first one, on this episode, we're going to discuss La Casa del Terror, a.k.a. The House of Terror from 1960, surprisingly starring Lon Chaney Jr., and we're going to mention, um, we're going to discuss The Face of the Screaming Werewolf, which was sort of the Americanized, butchered version that came out, and we'll talk about that after we talk about the actual original film, so... Get ready for some fun. By day, Casimiro works at a doctor's office, but by night, he's the night watchman at a wax museum of horrors, and he's been napping more frequently on the job because his boss, Professor Sebastian, is secretly draining blood from him while he sleeps to use in his experiments in raising the dead, experiments conducted in his hidden laboratory behind his wax museum. The mad doctor's attempts haven't worked so far, and the bodies of his failures have been covered in wax and placed in the museum to conceal his crimes. The professor learns of the mummified body of a man, played by Lon Chaney Jr., who has been found preserved in an Egyptian sarcophagus. The professor and his two henchmen steal the body of the mummy and take it back to his lab. But after the mummy is unwrapped, they fail to revive him. After the doctor and his men leave the lab that night, a bolt of lightning reactivates his equipment and provides the power surge needed to revive the dead man. As Cheney, as I'm sorry, as the uh, mummy struggles to awareness, the clouds outside part. The full moon shines on his face through a window, and the resurrected corpse transforms into a werewolf. Casimiro sees the creature wandering around the museum, but no one will believe him, not even his girlfriend Paquita. When the professor and his men return, the werewolf kills one of the henchmen, and the wolfman's imprisoned in the cage inside the lab. He later escapes and lopes off to the nearest park, where he strangles and bites a few innocent people. The werewolf winds up at Paquita's apartment, and Casimiro arrives there just in time to see his girlfriend being abducted. Can he stop the werewolf in time and save Paquita? You'll have to watch the whole movie and find out. <laughs> So, Juan, when did you first see this? 
I first saw this movie, believe it or not, <laughs> I first saw it up in New York. This was back in, oh my God, uh, I think it was in 72 or 73. And uh, I saw a screening of it on the theater. It was at the uh, Teatro Puerto Rico. And, uh, and I, they, they show a lot of different movies, but they also show horror films. And they show a lot of the Lucha movies with Santo, a lot of the uh, wrestling films. But that's why I first saw it on the big screen, um, The House of Terror, that is. Yes. This one, Casa del Terror. And it had a big impact on me because of the fact that you know, in, in, in uh, the golden age of Mexican cinema, the horror films, uh, the 1950s, the 40s, the 50s, and the 60s was huge, where a lot of the comedians, famous Mexican comedians, would take roles in these horror films. And they would make like a comedy out of it. It would be a horror film, but it's not a horror film where it's going to scare you to death, but it's a horror film that's going to give you both the elements. It's going to give you the elements of of horror to scare you, and also comedy to make you laugh. And, um, you know, of course, Ting Tan, you know, the, 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 the main character in the film here, uh, this is not the first time doing him uh, doing horror films. He's been in quite a few uh, horror films, horror quote-unquote comedy films, and so has his brother, too. Uh, so, you know, both of them, you know, the, the Valdez family, his real name is Hernan Valdez, Herman Valdez, um, did these films, and it was it was a huge uh, hit in Mexico back in the '60s. When I saw it in '72 in New York, man, it impacted me. Goes, wow, you know. And then I started wanting to get into looking for the other ones that the other comedians did, like Clavi Jasso, uh, you know, and some of the other comedians that did horror films uh, in, in from Mexico during the time. So I really enjoyed it, and I, the fact that Cheney was involved with this, you know, uh, with this film. I, he, in 1959, he went there to perform in, uh, in the film. And uh, I guess maybe, you know, the pay must have been good for him, or I don't know what. But anyway, it turned <laughs> out for the good for him because he actually was able to maintain that persona, the character of the werewolf, yes. his original werewolf from Universal, from the Universal films, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this was a first-time viewing for me because I, I had no idea that Lon Chaney Jr. had made uh, any horror movies in Mexico until you told me about it, you know, off mic. Uh -huh. And I loved this, this movie. I thought it would um, it had the same kind of charm as a Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, you know, like you said, yes, being a did. horror comedy. <laughs> it, um, did. Uh -huh. it, it It had chilling moments, but it also had this innocent quality to it. That's what I really liked about it. And I felt, and I watched it late at night. And I, it's a perfect late night film. This is the kind, you know, where was this movie when I was a kid? Because I would have loved to have watched this on TV late at night, you know? <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, one of the things about the film itself, I would have to say that, you know, the production, it being shot in Mexico, okay, and then the, 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 the director and, and the producers that did this, they wanted to do it, basically, they wanted to have that weave of universal feel to the film where it was shot at night, mostly all night scenes. There's basically no daytime scenes in this film. It's all either in the museum, in the house, you know, and it's all at night, you know, and uh, that kind of scenario to make it more frightening, more scary. So, I mean, it, that's the reason why, you know, the, the film became a hit. And I got to tell you, man, I mean, I, I was very impressed with the combination of horror comedy that these comedians, Mexican comedians were doing back in in the 50s and 60s in Mexico. And uh, they, they, they zoomed over here because 
at that time, a lot of these films were mainstream in Mexico. They were not known in the U.S. yet, of course, until you got K. Gordon Murray that actually got to do the dubbing, and he took over. He took a lot of them from Mexico, more of the serious horror ones, not the comedies. And then, of course, you know, our pal and producer, Mr. Warren, quote-unquote, we'll talk about a bit, uh, decided to chop this one up. But the best way to see this film is the way it is, the original version, because then you know, the, you get the feel of what the, the plot, the movie is about, involving uh, uh, Cheney and how he appears. And you got scientists, you got a, a laboratory, you got a wax museum. So you got a little bit of everything in this film. Yeah, yeah. It's great. And, you know, it was it was very, very well directed. You know, it was uh, Gilberto Martinez Solares. He's the director, yeah. right? Yes, yes. And he's done a bunch that I've actually seen, like um, Santo. Um, world, uh, Santo and Blue Demon versus the Monsters, which I love. Uh, Blue Demon versus the Invasion. Uh, just, just so many. The, the a lot that I didn't recognize. That I, you know, it's on my list now. I have to check them out. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> I know that. Yeah. Well, I guess the money was right for Cheney to go to Mexico to do the film because he really didn't want to do this movie. He didn't want to be stereotyped or typecasted to the fact that, you know, he was known as Lone Chaney Jr. or not the werewolf, quote unquote. But right. he wanted to classify he didn't like he wanted to be he didn't want to be classified as a werewolf. He wanted the, his star character as Lone Chaney Jr. So I guess maybe the money was right. And and you know, him being at that time period in his life, the latter part of his years. He was pretty much doing a lot of, you know, low-budget B-movies, and he wasn't really an A actor anymore in films, if you know what I mean. Right. And in Hollywood, people just they, they do what they have to do to to survive. So I mean, he took he took on the job of going to Mexico to uh, to do this film. Now remember, Boris Karloff did the same thing too. Towards the later yep. part of the later the later years of his life, he went to Mexico. To uh, to do two or three horror films over there too, so and John Carradine also was over there, so yep. they all took their turn to go there to give them a taste of what American horror is all about. You know what I mean? Similar to the Universal movies. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know what can you say about Cheney? He's such a legend, but you know, obviously he played the Wolfman, but he's one of the only people who's played them all. He's played the Wolfman, the Mummy, the Dracula, the Frankenstein monster for Universal. He, 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 he did them all. He did them all, but primarily, well, you know, for the exception for the very first, you know, couple of ones, the main ones, the first Frankenstein, the first Dracula. But then after that, yeah, he, you know, uh, he was personified as the quote-unquote uh, persona to take over his dad, you know, Cheney Sr. Yeah. And, uh, you know, had Cheney Sr. would have lived, I got to tell you, though, Roger, 1930, when Lon Chaney Sr. did The Unholy Three, which was his only talkie that he did, he passed away three months after that. Lon, Lon was very young, you know, that, and of course, his original name, Creighton Chaney, right. he hadn't changed the name. He was still a Creighton, according to the, the Chaney family. But uh, had, you know, Sr. would have lived on, he would have been Dracula, Sr. would have been Frankenstein, and then... Lon would have got minor roles. He wouldn't have got all these roles that he would. He would have been secondary to his father in films throughout, you know, the 40s, the 30s, had he would have lived. But either way, he still was able to maintain and keep that image of his dad in horror movies being these monsters, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. 
I will say the the one it's not really a criticism, it's just the one thing about this movie that disappointed me was Cheney had one word and that was it. No other dialogue. He says the word no. <laughs> it was just like <laughs> but seeing him it was it was as if he was Lawrence Talbot and he had, he was 12 years older now and he had somehow traveled to Mexico although I guess you can't really argue that cuz he started off as a mummy in this so <laughs> No right exactly so maybe they wanted to split the story with him not being totally you know to 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 come back as Lawrence Talbot re, you know re, rejuvenated or come back as a sequel as in the werewolf so that's why they played him off as a mummy at first and then a werewolf. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, his 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 curse was still with him. <laughs> yeah, and there was um, there's one moment in the movie that we'll get to when we talk about the actual film itself. But I just wanted to continue with the cast here. Um, so a, a couple of things. What do you know about the writers? I know Solaris um, is credited as writing it, but also a guy named Juan Garcia, who's also a. It seems like he's a prolific actor too. Uh, yeah. Well, Juan Garcia. And Fernando de Fuentes, they wrote, you know, they wrote actually the screenplays. Fernando de Fuentes is a very prolific writer and producer. He actually was involved in some of the early horror films, uh, you know, from 19 the early 30s. If you remember La, Jor La Llorona and you remember the uh, the movie The Phantom of the Monastery yeah. or The Phantom of the Convent, that was Fernando de Fuentes. Oh, okay. That, did that. that was back then. I mean, and these guys, you know, he was even involved with the uh, the later on uh, uh, doing the uh, the Salazar productions when APSA, uh, you know, they did the, the the movies they did in the fifties when uh, uh, how do you call it, uh, Abel Salazar and, and the rest of them did these films. The Fuentes was very much involved with both both of them, Garcia and Fernando. They wanted to write most of the screen screenplays for a lot of these movies along. Of course, Alberto Martinez Solares was was a, uh, a prominent director who did a lot of comedies, uh, mostly mainstream comedies and westerns in Mexico. And uh, Tintan, of course, you know, he was very uh, uh, associated with uh, Martinez Solares because I, he, his brother, the brothers, because they were basically him, uh, uh, El Loco Valdez, Ramon Valdez, they were all right there, you know, basically in that area of the Pachucos back in the in the 1940s. And uh, Solaris saw these guys as real prominent coming up and that they can build a career, film careers with these with these actors, which they did. And that's the reason why they stuck with them. They gave them the nicknames, these comedy nicknames, and they went on to do hundreds, hundreds of films in Mexico. Of course, with the direction of Solaris and Fernando de Fuentes and other prolific, uh, how do you call it, directors and producers from the time, you know? Right, right. That's amazing. And and he was great. Uh, Tintan was, was just so funny in this movie. He had me in stitches through the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah he, he, he's, really, he, he's really funny in uh, uh, most of all his movies that he, he, he played in. I mean, he has a... He had a his filmography is, is amazing. He's got over 300 films to his credit. But of course, a lot of these were, you know, basically in Mexico. But he did do some stuff here in the States, too. He did, you know, he did, he did a couple, he did a couple movies over here. And, but uh, mostly they wanted to, you know, put him into some of the, the horror movies, like, and these real, um, how do you call it, dramas that involve 
comedy, comedy. One one movie that I want to mention real quick here with, with him, with Tintan, which is very similar to this movie, is called The Madness of Terror, uh, Locura de Terror from 1961. And that movie, it involves the same kind of scheme as this one here with scientists, a laboratory, and, um, you know, taking brains out of people and making, <laughs> trying to make a serum to rejuvenate and, and uh, change the, 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 the body. They would take their heads and transplant them into skeletons. It's a really, really wild movie, that, that one there, uh, with Tim Tat. And, of course, he always had to have the role of him making the romance to his favorite girlfriend and trying to save her, trying to, you know, combine together. So you're going to have that that comedy romance always with him and the women in these films, you know? Right, right. What was the film you just was, were telling us about? What's that? What was the title of the film you were just telling us about? Uh, it's called uh, Locura de Terror. It's Madness of Terror. Okay. Which I have, I have a beautiful print of that with English subtitles now because every, people have been asking me for that movie with Tintac. And if you look at that movie... Um, one of the wrestlers, it's got a couple of key wrestlers in that film. I don't know if you remember Frankenstein, the ball-headed, tall wrestler. He was in a lot of horror movies, too. He's in that movie with uh, Tintan, and uh, it, it's just a wild movie. You, you know, this movie and that movie kind of like go side by side. You really have to watch the, the Pura de Terror, the Man of Terror with, with him in it. And it's the same plot. He, he's got <laughs> this romance with a girl, and he's trying to... To, you know, to be with her, and then she's like, oh, yes, you know, we're going to get married, I want to be with you, and, and you know, he's, he's got these comedy routines, and he, the fears that he's going to lose a love, and, but in between, all this stuff happens, and in the end, you know, he tries to save the day, they kidnap her, they try to, you know, use her and experiment with her, and he lands up saving her, you know, <laughs> right. but, uh, you know, like this movie... Casa del Terror, the Locura del Terror is basically the same. So you got to check that one out. Oh, definitely. Not only that, not only that, but he got a lot of other ones that he did with his brother, too. Tintan did a movie called Two Phantoms and a Girl from 1959. Um, Dos Fantasmas and Una Muchacha, which is another film that involves phantoms, uh, uh, two ghosts that are trying to, in this opera house, it's sort of like a a Mexican comedy version of the Phantom of the Opera. So, I mean, and then that, that's one of them. And then there's a couple of other ones, you know, that, that they did that involved, you know, either supernatural ghost spirits and things like that. There was another one called the Theater of Crime from 1957 that he was in that one too, which is involved a, a murder in a theater. It's a, a mystery and that kind of stuff. So... A lot, of, a lot of these movies, if you watch these movies, they're really, really kind of like pretty cool, funny, because he, he brings that, that type of Abbott and Costello feel comedy type routine, you know? Yeah. Besides Contemplus, because Contemplus was like the main comedian. He was like the number one in Mexico. He was a legendary comedian. But uh, you had all these other guys, him, and, and you got the ones that were like always sidekicks, like Abbott and Costello-type comedians, Lauren and Hardy wannabes, and all this other stuff that uh, reigned during the golden uh, cinema, the golden age of cinema in Mexico, you know? Right, right. It, it, it's too bad that they didn't, you know, thankfully Kay Gordon Murray brought a bunch over, but it doesn't seem like 
that many trickled over the border, or in, at least enough for the mainstream audience to get a hold of it. And it's, it's just too bad. Yeah, it, it is because I mean, uh, K. Gordon Murray really just wanted to specialize on the on the serious horror ones. He didn't really want to get plus the fact that he probably he didn't get the rights to a lot of these films. You know, the APSA production company, he got able to get the rights to do the most of the APSA films from. Uh, from the Salazar Corporation, and that's how he was able to dub a lot of the, all of these, uh, Brainiac and Vampiro, you know, and all these other ones, to dub them into this real horrible English dubbing, but a lot of the other movies, like this movie, and uh, the, the, um, um, the one with Clavi Jasso, uh, you know, it, a lot of them he just couldn't get, you know, to, to dub them over or, or make them, because, I mean, he did a lot of kiddie movies, K. Gordon Murray, he was the king of the kitty fairy tale movies, right? But uh, he didn't really do much on getting these comedians. You know what I'm saying? To to do these films, you know? Right, right. Um, and just briefly, what can you tell us about some of these other cast members, like uh, Yolanda Varela, who played Paquita? Uh, well, let's see. She was a well, Mexican actress, of course, but um. <laughs> She was she was pretty pretty prominent in doing a lot of serious romances in uh, uh, how do you call it uh, in the early in the early fifties the late forties yeah and she did a lot she was with a lot of prominent actors from Mexico uh, she was with um, Arturo de Cordova Jorge Mistral Pedro Vargas Fernando Soled you know a lot of these great actors from Mexico during the, the golden age of cinema Joaquin Cordero which is another one. And of course, Tin Tan and Cavillasso and these other ones. But she she was basically um, um, married to Fernando de Fuentes. Oh, okay. Reyes, the the producer. Yeah. She was the wife of the producer. She was in a lot of his films because he put her in a lot of his movies. So if you see, you know, whatever you see her in a film like this movie and you know some of the other ones that that are very well. She only was in about maybe 40 or 50 movies throughout her entire career. But uh, I would say that more than half of them were produced by Fernando de Fuentes because they were married. They were husband and wife. Right, right. So, right. I mean, so, but uh, uh, this was one of the more ones that he, she didn't really want it to do horror films. She thought it was going to be like a frightful, gory, scary movie. She wasn't really, so he had to really tell her, look, it's like going to be a comedy it's going to be horror, but it's not going to scare you. It's going to make you laugh more than scare you. So then she's okay. I'll, I'll give it a shot because he told her you're just going to be the love interest for Tintin. That's it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so it worked out for her, but I mean, she had a very kind of prolific career, uh, you know. And, and um, she went on to man. She was born in 1930, and you know, she lived a pretty long life. And, and I guess until she passed away in two, no, 2009, like maybe 10 years ago, not even that. Yeah. But um, she continued to do films and she was doing soap operas and everything in Mexico up until the time that she passed away. So she's a very, very, uh, very prolific actress. Wow. You know? Wow. And what about the, the guy that played the professor? I'm not even going to take a chance to try, or take a shot at trying to pronounce his name. Can you say it for us? Oh my lord! <laughs> I can't say much about him. Yeah, oh, well, it's uh, oh my! Uh, I would have to whoa, <laughs> um, Georgie, 
Georgie Beirut. I think he was in Mexico. I mean, Georgie Beirut was kind of like maybe, uh, you know, he might have been Pakistani or might have been uh, oh, okay. uh, Arabic or, you know, yeah, uh, maybe maybe uh, uh, Israeli. or. But, yeah, the name itself speaks, I don't know, maybe Jewish. But he was not Mexican. I mean, keep in mind that a lot of these actors that come down that are in Mexico, that are in all these movies, a lot of them are from different other countries, from Spain, from South America, and, you know, they come to, to Mexico to make their life, their careers and stuff. So, and, but they, they learn the language, they learn to speak the language and so forth. Um, I'm not familiar with a lot of the films that he did. I know that he's got that face that I think he was in, if I'm not mistaken, he was in um, a couple of the Salazar films, the horror movies that he did. Right, the Grito right. del Terror, maybe, in, uh, maybe one or two of those. But uh, not really, really well known like a lot of the, the main actors are, you know? Right. Yeah, I'm just looking at his IMDb now. He was born in Costa Rica. And um, one yeah, of the films... Cecil, yeah, he's, he's Costa Rican. Then. Yeah, he's known for The Body Snatcher, which is a Fernando Mendez film from 57. Right, yeah. And that's the one. That's the one with uh, Wolf Rubinsky. He he right. plays the main role in uh, Body Snatchers. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, so that's another one. That, the the early ones, you know, that uh, that he was in. And then in seventy uh, one, he was in the Alien Terror, oh, which is Jack Hill film. Oh wow, we had yeah, well, that's, Boris that's Karloff. The, that's the one with Boris Karloff. Yeah. yeah. Boris Karloff did all of the Jack Hill went to Mexico to do like three or four. Uh, did like four or five horror movies and sci-fi movies in Mexico, Jack Hill, and he took Boris Karloff down there. So, yeah, he was in that movie, that Alien Terror with uh, with Karloff. Yeah, that's cool. And wasn't uh, didn't Karloff do like two or three movies in the Philippines too? Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah, he was there towards the end of his life. You know, I guess he was. Um, keep in mind that you know Carradine, Karloff, you know Cheney. A lot of the, a lot of our great megastars back in the 1930s and 40s landed up going, you know, third rate, fourth rate, bid actors and B right. and doing the the low grade Z films because they really couldn't do anything else. They were at the end of their careers. They were right. already 70, 70 plus years. You know, they were already too old for to be picked up in in the modern cinema. You know, from the 19, you know, 60s and 70s. Because they've already lived most of their life, but yeah, um, Jack Hill was, you know, he said he took uh, Carradine was involved with a couple of uh, the stuff that he did with it. Jack Hill was also uh, in in that in Mexico. Uh, Carradine did a couple of uh, he did Madame Death, and he did a lucha film with Mil Mascaras, you know, called Las Vampiras. Yeah. He was the vampire in that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, again, going back to this film, you know, and you know, the way they did this film, I, I'm really very, I really enjoyed this film a lot. You know, I mean, it's the fact that, you know, the comedy in it, it had a feel of, with the Wax Museum, it kind of reminded me a little bit of uh, House of Wax type thing, yes. you know, with Vincent Price. Yeah. It did remind me of that. The laboratory scenes was very, very much like uh, the Universal, typical Universal. And if you remember, a lot of the Lucha films, you know, like the wrestling women films and a lot of these films, they had laboratory scenes. They all had these mad scientists and white coats and laboratories, and they always wanted to 
give those luchador brains for some reason. They needed to transfer brains <laughs> from luchadors, you know. <laughs> that was the theme, you know. It's so true. It's so true. Yeah. <laughs> and what's what what's the um you know what it reminded me of too was um the the Corman film A Bucket of Blood from fifty nine with uh Dick Miller. Oh yeah. Where he was killing people and putting them in wax, you know, and that yeah. wasn't uh, he too... was making he was making sculptures out of their <laughs> yeah their bodies. That, and it wasn't too long before this was that was fifty nine and this was what, sixty did we say? No, this was uh, 60, yeah. It was, yeah. Well, actually, this was shot, it was made in 59, but shot in, uh, in 60. 19, it was released in 60. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so it's one of those things where it was just out in the ether and different creative people uh, grabbed the uh-huh. idea, you know? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but I did love the werewolf transformation scenes here. I thought um, the makeup was really good. I, th- I actually kind of like this design. Um, I, I, people may call me a... Uh, a blasphemer for saying this, but I I kind of like this design a little bit better than the the Jack Pierce design, just because it was more feral and and furrier, you know. Yeah, you, if you notice, you know, again, it's, you know, when he was doing it, they showed the transformation when he was by the window looking at the moon and stuff like that, and you know, in the original werewolf movie, and of course the movie that he did back in the forties, um, his transformation. You notice that it was a here in this movie. You can see a facial complete transformation with the hairs and everything. Where and you know, but he didn't really pull at his face because in the original werewolf movies, he would always put his hands and pull at his face like he was trying to uh, prevent from turning into a werewolf. You see, right? And uh, but no, this transformation, the the special effects were really good in making him go from Cheney to the werewolf. Right. Very similar to the original werewolf. And again, I say, wow, you know, to be able to see him in a Mexican film and, and with the, the complete. And his, his face was very similar to that of the original werewolf, too, I have to say. Right, right. And, you know, I think everybody who's who's studied about Lon Chaney Jr., they, they know that in his later years he suffered from alcoholism. And that probably was going on here, but he still, man, he puts in a performance. And, and there's there's a scene where he gets, as you mentioned, there was a brain swapping, and he gets another guy's brain in his head, and he acts very differently. And you, yeah. From the way he was before, it was like he was like the Lawrence Talbot kind of character who didn't want to change. He was upset when he woke up and saw the, the moon, but then... When he had the other guy's brain in his head, he wasn't concerned about that. He was doing like he was behaving differently. I can't really describe it unless people see the movie, you know. But yeah, do you agree exactly. with that? Yeah, I would have to. I would say yes. Yeah, definitely, I would agree. I mean, it's just like the two sides of the two changes of him going from one type of person to another, you know, in the, in the werewolf persona. And, uh, you know, basically, of course, you, 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 they're bringing him in this film as a mummy first, right. and then a werewolf. Yeah. <laughs> Which is great, because they yeah. kind of made him look a little bit like the Karloff mummy, but he also played the mummy, too, so it's, you know. Exactly. So it, it was a role fitting for him. It was a role very fitting for him in this movie. Too bad, you know, the only thing that I would have to say that the movie didn't really get a an Academy Award nomination, where per se, where it was going to be a major blockbuster, it wasn't. It stayed as a as a low B movie, and it was a movie that he just traveled there to do, and he thought maybe he would succeed, which he did in a way. 
Um, and it got a lot of attention in Mexico at the time in the in the late fifties, early sixties, and then it went. It, went, it was gone forever. Yeah. And then it resurfaced again. It came resurfaced in the in I think in the early seventies and then in the eighties, and then it came out later. People starting to see on the uh, late night chiller theater in the U.S. They started watching these, and a lot of the uh, Spanish television companies that were showing films on the weekends, you know. Cine Azteca and all these other companies which show these films intact, the Spanish versions, that is. There were no subtitles, of course. Right. But, um, you know, and then so finally, you know, we get the, get the right people behind it, get the movie and get it subtitled so that way you can really enjoy it and, you know, be able to understand a little bit of the movie with right. the plot, if you know what I mean. And you know what's an interesting aspect of this? Did you notice in the laboratory scenes they swiped the the theremin music from Forbidden Planet? <laughs> they did. <laughs> <laughs> I've been watching a lot of foreign well, films lately, and they just unabashedly just steal American music left and right. <laughs> well, you and, and and they and they got away with it. Yeah, I mean they they got away with it. It's like you know, well they they look at Fernando de Puentes. Abel Salazar, Alfredo Salazar, all these great prominent directors and writers and producers, they took the universal theme and ripped it right off of the, 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 our, 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 uh, our screen from the 30s and 40s, you know, with all the horror movies, that the monster movies, and it fell right in. Yeah. And nothing was, <laughs> nothing was, was done. And Vampiro was a, was a very, very clone. If you look at Vampiro, it's a, it was an exact clone to Dracula in the 1931 Dracula with Bela Lugosi. You know, that's the persona. Right. But I mean, and, and they were able to, you know, use these castles and use these dungeons and use all these different types of monsters, mummies, even the creature. Golly, you know. Right. And, uh, and, and get away with it. Nothing, nobody can, Mexico, they got away with it. But if it was here in the States, I'd tell you a different story, Roger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so at one point uh, I had a, actually I thought of asking you this because I didn't know the answer to it but um, at one point the mad scientist says he's telling his henchmen that he was planning to go to Guanajuato to raise an army is is that a city in Mexico yes it is Guanajuato is a, is a city it's, uh, actually that's a city south of uh, Mexico City southeast of uh, Mexico City, Guanajuato, and there's a lot of, you know, uh, it's a huge city. It's like one of the, either the second or third largest city in Mexico, Guanajuato. And so what, why do you think his, what was his rationale for wanting to go there in particular to raise an army? Well, primarily maybe he could expand it out further because that's one, one region and one area that could, you know, if you go further south, you can go into the neighboring countries. You know, you got Nicaragua and you got all these other countries that are neighboring, you know, uh, uh, border countries. And you could expand Honduras. You can go right in. And, and if you build an army, you could maybe like worldwide domination starting through the south. So Guanajuato is like a good hub maybe to start off his invasion. <laughs> okay. So they put it there instead of doing it in Mexico City because Mexico City was too commercialized. It was too too much of a city, too much. Guanajuato had a lot of uh, historical feel to it. You got Gothic churches and all these kinds of things, you know. Like, of course, with the Mexican mummies, you know. Remember all the a lot of the the, the Mexican mummies. They basically got that uh, 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 that feel of being around these 
monasteries and, 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 and Gothic churches and big, big cathedrals and things like that. So where Mexico City didn't really have a lot of that because it was more of a commercialized industrial city. So that's why maybe Guanajuato was the point that he figured, well, I'll start my army there, you know? Right, right. <clears throat> yeah, that all right, that makes sense. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about that. But mm-hmm. and there's there's so many funny lines in this too. Like Paquita says to um Casimiro at one point, if you don't take care of me, you'll be a widow before you marry me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, well the thing about it is, you know, and, and, and you know, the the, the, the the gimmick here that was always that he was just wanted to sleep. He was like a sleeping beauty. He right. was like a male sleeping beauty that constantly was tired. He, he didn't get enough rest. Why in the world would he become a night watchman? Right. If he all wants to do is wants to sleep. Because would, a night watchman is supposed to stay up all night and watch the place. You know, walk around, make sure the security is good. Nobody breaks into the place. But instead, he just lays on the sofa all night sleeping. I mean, you know, it gets away with it because nobody's there. He's the only one there along with all the other wax figures. You know? Right, right. <laughs> and it was funny, too, because I didn't quite get that. I just assumed because he's working it because he works a day job in the office with the, the kooky doctor there who walks in with no pants. <laughs> oh, OK. <laughs> and then he, then he works all night at the museum. I'm like, when does he sleep? I didn't really get that it was because the guy was taking his blood until I did a little research afterwards. And I, I remembered back on it. I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> OK. Right. Well, you know, of course, if you're draining this blood, you're going to lose energy. You're going to lose you're going to be tired. You're going to be, you know, it's going to want to cause you to, to, to rest more and get sleep to, to regain your, your energy, your blood. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, that, that, that's the, the, the thing there was that. So they, they use these gigantic hypo needles that look like the size of a, a basketball air pump that you yes. put air into a basketball. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, oh, my God. I mean, and we, if you look at the other movie that he did, the Locura de, de Terror, the uh, the madness of terror. It's the same thing with that. The That's professor hilarious. there has a gigantic hypodermic needle. That is, the needle alone is like about I mean, what is it, uh, twelve inches long, man? And you know they put that in your arm. <laughs> you look at all these little things, man. It kind of make, makes you the, the gimmick of you doing it that way. That's right. how they did it in Mexican cinema. They didn't use these little needles. They had to use these gigantic needles. Right. And they used it in a lot of the horror movies. Use that the wrestling films, uh, you know the lucha uh, wrestling, the female wrestling movies. That when the uh, the doctor uh, was uh, the crime doctor was trying to experiment with the female the wrestlers, he would have the the same thing. They need to draw blood, and they use these gigantic needles to get. It's like if they didn't get enough blood, they wanted to get like maybe pints and pints of blood, in, you know, in the in the needle right. in the hypodermic thing. So yeah, so basically. That that theme with him being, you know, consistently tired and not being on the job because he really wasn't on the job. If he was sleeping all night, he really wasn't performing his work. Right. And and, and and got away with it. But everything around his surroundings, he was not aware of his surroundings. No. You know, like the part where when, when Cheney would came out into the into the where he was sleeping, he was just covered up in the blanket there. And he yeah. was walking around and he didn't even realize that, that he was right there, you know? <laughs> it's so true. And and it's funny, too, um, on a slightly different note, I thought it was a sign of the times. And um, a lot of times it doesn't work. But in this movie, all of a sudden, him and Paquita 
they break into they were singing like a mambo or something. Yeah, well, it was great. That's, that that that's the theme that he is known for. Tintan Hermamba this oh. was known it was known for that throughout his, his entire career. All his movies, he always he was a singer and he he, he liked to sing and he'd always sing romantic love songs to the women. So I mean, Paquita, he would sing like the romance song to her in the Madness of Terror, and I'm going back to that one because the Madness of Terror and this one is like side by side; they go together. Uh, he was singing the same thing. He was singing love songs to his girl and trying to romant romanticize her that way by singing her a love song, a serenata, or you call it serenade her. And you know, they they women in Mexico at the time they love to be serenaded by their men. And singing a song is was something huge in Mexico. In every every movie that you watch and you see, westerns, dramas, romances, horror, sci-fi. There's always somebody, a guy singing a love song to the girl, or you know, vice versa. You know, sometimes the girls singing the song. But in this particular movie, you you know, you figure you had that little, you had to get that little dancing, singing mambo scene in there because. That's Tintin, you know? Right, right. <laughs> That's awesome. That's Yeah, I'm definitely going to check out his other movies. Um, yeah, there's a lot of little things in this movie. Like, I, I thought, I I was so happy that this was, like, really <laughs> the first time with a Cheney Wolfman that they showed blood. Like, when he attacks one of the henchmen, he practically rips his face off, you know? Exactly, exactly. So, too bad it wasn't black and white. <laughs> <laughs> I think it that worked. Color. That yeah, for you it. know, but yeah, it did. I mean, it's like wow. <laughs> but no, yeah, he there wasn't a lot of gore here. I don't remember just that one one scene. Yeah, but there wasn't really a lot where he destroyed somebody's face or his. Believe me, Cheney was will never be would have never been a Paul Nazi in no way. Right, you know, Nazi was a very gory <laughs> werewolf. He was gruesome and he was gory and he really liked to rip flesh off and blood. And you always see his his, his teeth full of blood. That was Nachi. Yeah. But Cheney, Cheney, no. Cheney, Cheney didn't, you know, of course, he would, he would scrape, you know, and he would, he would, with his, with his hands or his claws, and he would just claw them that way and get blood that way, but he wouldn't drink their blood. He would just leave them bloodied and we, you didn't see it in his face, on his teeth or nothing, you know? Right, right. All right. Um, so we'll just wrap this up here real quick. Um, and then I'd like to talk about the, uh, the American, the butchered, um, I don't even want to say remake because it's not. It's just a butchered version that came out here about called The Face of the Screaming Werewolf. It's a completely different story. It's ripped from another film, which was... Um, actually, Juan, why don't you tell us um, a little bit about this? And it, it involved um, the producer, right? Was it... Um, yeah, it was, Jer it was Jerry Warren. Okay? Yeah. And that was a, a really butchered, I would have to say, a mess of a schlock. Yeah, that he did, because Warren wanted to change this movie uh, in many, many ways. He wanted to do it again, but his version of it. So he didn't use the theme of the House of Terror, the Casa del Terror, but he wanted to create his own title. So he used the face of the screaming werewolf. In no time, you know, at any time you didn't see Cheney scream in this film at all. But you know, I digress. Okay, but the thing about it is that this. Uh, <laughs> This, this, this director, this producer, Jerry Warren, he was the master of, of, of doing uh, 
uh, hybrid films or uh, rearranging the films to it's like didn't make any sense at all. Right. You would look at the plot. There was no plot, and it involved clips from other movies in there that didn't make any sense. The dialogue would go on forever, and you know you would have like two people talking. And they would be talking and talking and talking and talking. <laughs> and everything that they talk about didn't make any sense relating to the movie, Roger. Right. It would be 10 minutes of film wasted between two people talking nonsense that didn't make any sense. That's Jerry Warren for you. Okay? Yeah. It was like the, the film was only an hour. At least, the, you know, House of Terror was an hour and a half. The, and the, the film was an hour and, like... I'm going to say 75% of it was padding. Like you said, either people talking, people on the phone, or people walking. It was like, yeah. What? Did you want to talk a little bit further about Warren in the next you know, part if we can? Oh, sure. Uh, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't spill it all because I have a few, other, few things I want to mention about him. Good. Too, yeah, go ahead. About, uh, okay? about the next movie or about what, what we're talking about right now? No, well, we're talking about the face of the screaming werewolf. Yeah, Which oh, no. Yeah. Tell us. Uh-huh. So yeah, so basically, you know, <laughs> you know and, and so what he, what happened was he he wanted to make the movie extended maybe a little bit more, uh, make it longer, and he he figured well I'll do the movie my way and maybe it could become a, a a blockbuster, which in turn didn't because what happened was he he re-edited he does a lot of he he does re-editing he re-edits the films and he combines other movies with it like you know. Even foreign horror films, you know, and he adds them together, he reclips them, he re edits them, and he redoes them into a new sequence. So when you watch the movie, you're thinking it's all part of the same movie, but it doesn't make any sense because he used La Momia Azteca for this movie. Right. Uh, the, Momia, the, the Aztec Mummy is a Mexican horror film that was heavily re edited into the US version. Uh, he did the version of that, it's called Attack of the Mayan Mummy. That was the Jerry Warren version. Right. And, and, and so he took the Taka the Mayan mummy and he re-edited all that and put it into the, uh, the footage, uh, which was syndicated, to, was supposed to be for TV. And he put it into the, uh, this, the Casa del Toro. He recycled it into the face of the Screaming Werewolf. That was his title. And it, uh, and it had the... The, the principal footage was the, this movie, The Casa del Terror, with Lone Cheney, and he added additional footage by putting the Aztec mummy in the beginning. You know, you see them yep. going to the Mayan temple, and it's all they're talking, and she's laying on the bed, she's being hypnotized, and there's nothing in there that all the references to the werewolf movie of Cheney, because you figure, what is this about? Right. What, is the, <laughs> what, what does the Aztec mummy have to do with the werewolf? You see? So that's that was him, and, and he took out I mean, all of Tintan scenes. He did, he did, because he didn't want to use the main character, the actor, for in his movie. Right. He wanted to have his his own way with the dialogue that he did, and it, let me tell you, it was horrible dialogue. Oh so yeah. The worst, the worst dialogue. If you want to watch a real a real a mess, you need to watch the nineteen sixty three version. The horror movie called the the, the, the uh, La Marca del Muerto, the the Mark of Death. Okay, it was called Creature of the Walking Dead. I don't know if you ever heard of that movie. No. He named it the Creature of the Walking Dead. Okay, and then he followed it up with the Curse of the Stonehand, which is another movie that he edited from two. They were that from Chilean 
Chilean horror films from the 1930s and 40s that he bought. So he took these films and he edited them heavily and he put them all together and he made the, the, the mark of death. And in the beginning, you know, the, the characters and everything, they didn't even, the names didn't even match. He had Rock Madison and he, he, names that they were unknown. I mean, they're not even involved with the movie. <laughs> but just to show you Jerry Warren and why he did these movies and he was known as, as, as that, you know. Right. <laughs> But oh he did God. a lot of other things with Cheney. He was also involved with Carradine, you know. Hmm. Uh, I, I, have you ever seen The House of Black Death? It yes. was supposed to be. It was. Re, it was released to TV. Well, the original title, the producer was. You know, he he wanted to name it the Blood of the Man Devil with Lon Cheney. You know, it was about a cult. You know, this cult the group, right. witches and stuff like that, and John Carradine. So they released it to TV as the House of Black Death, but originally it was the Blood of the Man Devil. But there was Warren behind that, doing all that. You know, he did all the extra footage to pad out the running time. He wanted to add more time, you know, to a one-hour movie. He wanted to stretch it out to an hour and a half. You know, right? He did that. He did that with a movie called "And Now You Got Me on a Roll" with Jerry Warren. I was going <laughs> to save it for the, for the second half, but it's up to you. You know what I mean? If you want to. No, go ahead. Talking. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I have this movie called The Wild World of Batwoman. Yes. Are you familiar with that? Oh, yeah, yeah. From 1966? Yeah. Okay, it's got Bruno, it's got Bruno Vesauda on it and Catherine Victor. So he, he produced that movie. He did it. Again, another schlock fest. And then he took clips from other movies to pr- blend into the... The Wild War of Batwoman. I mean, you know, he, he, he released all these other movies that were really, really, very low grade Z, below grade Z. You can't get no further down below Z. Right. <laughs> you know, so I, he did Frankenstein Island. Uh, that was another one. With, uh, he had some good actors in that one. You know, John Carradine, Karen Mitchell. But I mean, Robert Clark was in it from the... Uh, uh, astounding she monster, he monster, yep. son, the hideous sun demon. Yeah. But I mean, it's 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 basically. I gotta tell you one thing. This man was born to wanted to always be a director. You know, he was from California, uh, and he was uh, he wasn't uh, he wasn't he he was he was a producer and filmer. He was a screenwriter. He was a cinematographer. He was also an actor. Believe it or not, if a young Jerry Warren, if you want to see him very young, he appeared in bit parts huh. in the 1940s movie, uh, The Unconquered, with okay. Boris Karloff. He was in that. He was in the musical Anchors Away with Gene Kelly, where oh, Tom wow. and Jerry do the animated dance. Yeah. Well, Jerry Warren is in that film. He has a small part in that. And he's also in a comedy movie with the, the com- comedians Olsen and Johnson. Right. From 1940, which is called The Ghost Catchers. Okay, yeah. Okay. So Jerry Warren was in that movie too. So he was in a lot of bit. He did bit parts in his early, you know, early years. Uh, and it, but he, his filmography is very, very. Actually, believe it or not, it's not that big, but he's got a lot of filmography. Basically, as editor, distributor, writer, producer, director, and uh, uncredited actor because they didn't want to credit him in these films. <laughs> in the 1940s, okay? Right. So you look at him in the movie Man Beast from 1956, that's Warren as a director and a producer. 
I think that was his first movie that he actually was involved in creating a slot fest and messing up though. So basically, he <laughs> uh, was with John Carradine in the incre- Incredible Petrified World from 1959. Right. He was actually a producer and he had a cameo in that movie. He was in the plane. If you look at the, the passages in the plane, there's Jerry Warren. He's one of the passengers. Oh, but and funny. again, I mean, a lot of these mo- films that he did, uh, very, very low-budget Ray Z movies, was all directed, edited, wrote, wrote by Jerry Warren. I'll give you an example of some of these early sci-fi and horror movies from the 1950s and 60s. Um, Teenage Zombies, that's another thing that he, that's another one he did. He directed the uh, Invasion of the Animal Peoples. He did uh, The Curse of the Stone Hand, which I mentioned already. Yeah. The, uh, 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 the Violin of the Dam was another one, but that's not a horror one. And then he did The Creature of the Walking Dead, which is the, 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 his version of The Mark of Death, which is a Mexican horror movie. It's a really good movie, by the way, hmm. Creature of the Walking Dead. And, you know, so his credits go on from the 1940s into the 80s. But most of this is him wanting to be a writer, director, producer, writer, editor, you name it. He wanted to be the king in everything, you know. So that, that was his, his rise to fame. And I guess, you know, Tom Weaver always talks about Jerry Warren as the master of Schlockmeister, the Schlockmeister master. I mean, he, he was the king. Of, if K. Gordon Murray was the king of kiddie movies and doing English dubbing for all of the... Uh, the uh, Salazar films and the horror films from Mexico, then Jerry Warren was like, uh, I don't know what to, how to place him. What, 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 name, what name can you give this man that uh, did all these things? But he got, he got to be known. When you mention his name comes up a lot, yeah. you know, when it comes to all these great low-budget movies. And primarily, if you watch enough of them, you get, you'll get to see what I mean with the uh, ad-libbing where he's trying to make stock footage and he's trying to add time to the movie right. to extend it to extend it to an hour and a half. The movie's only an hour and five minutes, right? Yeah. But he has 20 minutes <laughs> of no-nonsense talking dialogue between two people that are sitting there. And a good example of that is the, uh, the picture of the walking dead, the mark of death. If you watch that one, you're going to see the two, the two, the, the doctor and the scientist they're sitting in the office and they're talking basically about the experiments that uh, that was going on and and and, uh, and it was just back and forth, back and forth. It didn't make any sense, and they would. It was just a dialogue that you you you, you cut it off right. after ten minutes. You know, I mean, what else can these guys talk about? But they were just using they were just using time to add footage to the film. Yeah. But the same thing happened with this one. When they added the Aztec mummy scenes in here, oh my god! You know, in the, in the beginning, you know, they have uh, Rosita. By the way, that was Rosita Arenas that was on the on laying on the couch there with Ramon Guy, right. uh, doing the hypnotizing, and you know the dialogue between them, which of course you know the Mayan mummy, the Aztec mummy, or so forth, and had nothing to do with actually the the story of the. <laughs> Cheney and the Screaming Werewolf. Right. So, you know, that's the reason why these movies go side by side. So, you know, you got the House of Terror and you got the face of the Screaming Werewolf. If you want to see a real bad version of it, you know, then you watch the face of the Screaming Werewolf. Werewolf. But if you want to see the good version, you have to watch the the House of Terror. 
And that's what kills me. You know, this movie is so incoherent. And, like, there were scenes from the, the, you know, the regular version that were put out of order. Like when the werewolf is chasing Paquita. And that, that was driving me crazy. And it was just like... If this had come out, like, if I had seen this in the theater and not, not knowing anything about the original film, I would have been pissed because this made absolutely no sense from beginning to end. Like, there's a scene where, the the like you said, they spliced in the shot of the mummy going towards the American guy, but it's obvious they're not in the same shot together. They're not, not even on the same set together because they'll cut to the mummy, cut to the guy, cut to the mummy, and then the guy yeah, falls yeah. down, you know? <laughs> Science. Yeah, exactly. That that's the heavy editing. That's the editing that uh, that Warren was known for. He re-edited. He took clips and re-edited. Put this clip with that clip, that clip with this clip, and that's how he did it. He put it together. Let me tell you, he, this man Warren, you know, he uh, he wanted to become a, a a great director, but he figured by creating and doing all this with these movies would make the movies better it actually made the movies worse right so i mean he bought this film it was a swedish film i you probably never you you know the the swedish name you probably never heard of the film but you would know it by the american name that he named it it's called the uh invasion de laplan it's called space invasion of lapland oh yeah it's from, <laughs> it's, from it's a swedish sci-fi films from 1958 okay and uh, it was filmed in Lapline, Virgil Vogel, you know, in the English language. Warren took the movie and we edited it and he shot his own version entitled Invasion of the Animal People. Oh, okay. Yeah. So if you, if you will watch the Invasion yeah. of the Animal People, that is the Invasion of Lapland, the Swedish, the original movie. Right. And then what he used to do, too, he used to incorporate a lot of his films as double features. So he would have... One of the actors that, that was very known, uh, the hideous sun demon, I know Robert Clark. He, yeah. he 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 worked with Robert Clark a lot. He did a lot of. There was a comedy version of the hideous sun demon, the Revenge of the Sun Demon. Have you ever seen that? Uh, probably yeah. When I was a kid, I think on like Creature Double Feature or something. Uh, well, that's Robert Clark, and that's a comedy. Yeah. Done by Warren. And oh it's God. basically, yeah, it, it, it Revenge of the Sun, you would think it would be the sequel to The Hideous Sun Demon. Right. I know you've seen The Hideous Sun Demon, right? Yes, yeah. Okay, so you know about that movie with Robert Clark. Right. But then, you know, there was, the, the Revenge came out and said, wait a minute, we have a sequel for for The Hideous Sun Demon. Oh, man, I got to check this out. But when you see it, it's Jerry Warren doing a comedy version of The Hideous Sun Demon, Revenge right. of the Sun Demon. You got to <laughs> oh see God. that one. You would really crack up. I gotta, so I that that, that was that was that was him, and I mean, and then he got involved in Mexican production because he really wanted to, he wanted to uh, impersonate. He wanted to be like K. Gordon Murray, right? But the K. Gordon Murray was the, really the king of doing the kitty movies and the fairy tale movies, and, and did a lot of the. He took all of the Mexican productions that were big in the fifties and sixties, and even the Santo films, and released them here for late night chiller theater events on television and the english versions all of them was all k gordon murray so he he got famous for that but in a good way yeah but warren wanted kind of to imitate k gordon murray in a way and that's why he decided to wanted to get involved with the mexican horror films too the ones that k gordon murray didn't do like you know i'll give you an example the uh the the the, uh, the mark of death 
or the uh, um, the creature, the, the mark of death, in other words, that one. Yeah. He didn't get involved with that one because basically the, the money was not there for him. And basically, to put that movie and make a English translation of it, to dub it, it was pretty bad. So that's the reason why, you know, he he took advantage of that. Warren took advantage of a lot of these movies. So Creature of the Walking Dead, and uh, he just went and re-edited, you know, in uh, the Mark of Death is really a good film. If you watch the, the original Mexican version, it's a really very good horror, kind of gory film. You know, very, very good movie. This is a movie you might want to might do later on, you know. Yeah. The Mark of Death. La Marca del Muerto, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's got that feel uh, from uh, Taboada, some, some of Taboada's films. Oh, know? right, right, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll have to So, check you know, yeah, so, I mean, and... Uh, so that's the history, basically, you know, again, talking about, you know, about Jerry Warren, you know, and it's really, it's really when, you know, <laughs> he, he was really amazing because I, after a while, I've, I've watched his movies and I'm pretty much a lot of them, when, you know, they, you know, oh, that's a Warren special. Uh, and, and, you know, you, you really, it's not, you know, you don't get, you, you turn it off, you get, you get bored. Because right. you're listening, you're, you're listening to no nonsense dialogue between the actors and actresses that don't make any sense in the movie, and he's just he's, he thinks that that that's a way of being able to sell the movie and make huge mega bucks with the film. Right. You know what? And that's what kills me. It's like Kay Gordon Murray. He understood why these movies were popular, what worked about them, and and he pretty much just dubbed them. Whereas this guy, E.J. Warren, Jerry Warren, I should say. He he would just take them and butcher them, and so it kills me because by by doing that and putting these literal pieces of crap on the silver screen for audiences, it makes you not want to go and watch. If you had never seen a Mexican horror movie before, and you're oh, there's this new Mexican horror movie, oh my god, that was the worst movie ever. You would judge all the other ones by it and not go see them, and I just think that ruins it for everybody. That's probably a a huge reason why we didn't get a lot of them. When you know back in the seventies and eighties, like as much as we should have, you know what I mean? No, exactly. Uh, uh, you know, listen. From sixty three to sixty six, those years, Warren, Jerry Warren, we edited a bunch of uh, foreign horror films. You know, he not only the Mexican ones, but he did a lot of. You know, he was involved with Brazilian films. He was involved with other countries too, other uh, uh, South American and Latin countries retitling them, all and adding like newly filmed sequences into the films. So basically, this movie, La Momia Azteca, is a Mexican horror film was, that was heavily re-edited into his version. His version is called Attack of the Mayan Mummy. Right. So if you look at Attack of the Mayan Mummy and La Momia Azteca, they're totally two different versions. Attack of the Mayan Mummy was syndicated directly, it went directly to TV. He wanted that. He wanted his movies to go to TV, and that's exactly what he accomplished by uh, syndicating these movies to TV. And the footage from the same mummy, both films, from the mummy film, the original Mexican footage and the Warren made footage, then they were recycled. That's what that's what was recycled into this movie, The House of Terror, and renamed Face of the Screaming Werewolf, which also had the all the footage from the Mexican comedy La Casa del Terror, except. Tin Tan was not in it. They had Cheney, but 
no tin tan. <laughs> right. And, but they do keep him when he doesn't have any dialogue because they need his character, you know, to, to do some things at the end of the movie. But it was just so idiotic. And it's like they cut to the lady for no reason. <laughs> then they cut to him like waking up in the museum and then putting the blanket back on his head. And it was just like, oh, my God, <laughs> what are they doing? No, yeah, and this is why he, you know, his rise to fame wasn't really like the, what he wanted to do, but I guess that's what he liked to do, and he figured he could, you know, I mean, uh, I don't know, you know, he just throws it all together and make a movie. I guess right. people are doing that nowadays. People make movies just by throwing, look at, Corman was king of the B-movies. Co Corman, Roger Corman was, you look at him. And when he made his low-budget movies back in the 50s, and a lot of, you know, he, he did it on, he went to Puerto Rico in three, three movies, three horror movies in Puerto Rico. Right. He did all three films under a $25,000 budget. Can you believe that? And, uh, yep. you know, <laughs> he did these with low budget, low money, but they were very, very effective. They were not re-edited. They were not, and he delivered. Right. Corman delivered. Yep. In a way that Warren would never be able to deliver, you know. Right. Um, right. You know, he he did a lot of uh, dialogue work to a director. He he was able to do a lot of wardrobe and a lot of uh, uh, special effects that he wanted to get involved with. For example, the if you look at the movie The Teenage Zombies and The Incredible Petrified World with John Carradine, they go side by side because if you look at the wardrobe, if, it, if it's basically the same, a lot of it. When the teenage zombies, you see them initially how they're dressed in their, their outfits. And you look at their petrified world, and the same thing. So, I mean, you know, <laughs> <laughs> he, he, you know, i got to tell you, man. And, you know, it's amazing how, you know, this, this man married a, a, a cinematographer. A lot of his uh, movies was his wife. You know, she was doing a lot of the cinematography for him in a lot of these movies. Hmm. And, you know, she was uh, the first movie that he did with her was Man Beast. So, I mean, they, they started doing stuff together. And even when they were away on their trips or whatever, he started writing script for these teenage zombies and teenage uh, uh, zombies, the Petrified World, Man Beast, and all these other movies. And she was doing all of the uh, production, uh, how do you call it? Production, a wardrobe manager, and dialogue directing to help them put the movies together and stuff like right, that. Right, right. So, you know, like, the, for example, Man Beast. You know, the costume creature in the Man Beast, which is supposed to be like a, 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 a Yeti, a bottomless snowman. Well, the, the costume wardrobe was done by his wife, by uh, Murphy. His wife's name was Brittany Murphy or something like that. Hmm. I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> it, 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 you know, it, it's Warren, I'll tell you what, Warren, you know, he passed away in, I think, in the 80s, late 80s, early 90s, and he died from lung cancer, believe it or not. Hmm. He was a smoker, this guy smoked, but uh, he died, from, and then his wife died from brain cancer. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's like, whoa, you know, it's kind of like, it's an odd sequence there, I mean, an odd, 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 you know, that it would happen that way. But anyway, to make the long story short again. I mean, this movie, you know, you can watch the original version. And now that we have subtitles with the original version, it's better to watch the original version with the subtitles yeah. than to watch the, the slacked up version with, with Warren. I mean, it, very low budget. Right. Very low budget. Okay. So he did two movies in one. 
If you're a Mexican monster uh, fan and you like Mexican horror, Mexican monster films, you you know you watch this and it's like, oh my god, you know, you would definitely be very upset because it's it's, it's offending to put a movie like The Aztec Mummy, which is an awesome movie by itself, with La Casa del Terror. You know, yeah, and mash then, them together, you know, throw some Americans in, and call it a movie. You know, no, no, yeah, <laughs> right. So, I mean, and he was trying to always do double features with these movies. The re-edited versions of a lot of these movies, he would throw them into a, a drive-in schlockfest with double double features. Right. An example of that was The Curse of the Stonehenge. Right. You know, that's another one that uh, he took some, some Brazilian or Chilean or some Peruvian films and put them together, two or three movies, and clipped them and put them all together to make The Curse of the Stonehenge. I mean, and that was a, that was a second feature, running with like this movie or maybe the the Mark of Death or some of the other ones, and and a lot of this stuff he used American actors. He was able to get a hold of actors like John Carradine, Robert Clark, and some of these other ones to to go in with him. And you know, he must have paid a pretty penny to get John Carradine to be in some of his movies, like The Petrified World, you know, and, and some of these other ones. But I mean, wow. You know, right, and that was his double double bill. Basically, him doing, you know, uh, having all these movies, these foreign films that he put together, and and having an American. If you have one American actor, you figure it's a hit, right, Roger? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's their. You get that's Hollywood for you. In any movie, and you got a major blockbuster. Right, and it's too bad because someone like Tin Tan would have would have succeeded here had he been allowed to, you know, let people see his comedic style, you know? He could have been the Mexican Lou Costello, you know? Right, exactly. So, So, you know, when you mentioned the plot of this film, you know, Roger, at the beginning, I mean, you know, it starts out this way. It starts out with the Aztec mummy. It starts out that way. It doesn't start with Casimiro and meeting with, you know, uh, Paquita, you know, none of that stuff. Nope. That doesn't even come into play... Much later, he does not even, he's not even in the film. It's mostly, you know, uh, the Aztec mummy and the chaining with the werewolf scenes. But, you know, Rosita Arenas, which was the psychic woman that was in the original Aztec mummy movie, you know, and she's being hypnotized by uh, Ramon Guy and, you know, and, and, it t- and you can see them going into the pyramids and they discover that the mummies in the tomb, they mummify. And then supposedly in the mummy, in those tombs, they find the, the mummies, and then they find the mummy of the werewolf. That's where the that's where right. Cheney comes into play. You see? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. So, so Juan, your final thoughts, just for one last time, give us your final thoughts on La Casa del Terra, aka House of Terror, from 1960. My final thoughts on La Casa del Terror is a must see for all the horror Mexican horror fans that want to see a great Mexican slash comedy horror a la Abbott and Costello. If you like the, the, the uh, horror films of Abbott and Costello that like meet Frankenstein or Abbott and Costello meet the invisible, those movies, you're going to have the horror elements in there with comedy, but it blends so well. Okay? So La Casa del Terror blended well because you had, you know, you, it started out with Tin Tan as the main actor and it led up to the scenes of the professor and then he went into the museum and then you know we found that he was a night watchman working at the museum and okay so he was sleeping heavily you know he was uh <laughs> he was just 
sleeping forever, but he's not, not aware of his surroundings, and that's how they were able to build the plot around Tintan for the premise of bringing Cheney in as the werewolf. So the movie was really good up until the point, of course, when they re-edited the film, this edited version, the face of the screaming werewolf, I do not recommend. Right. I would recommend <laughs> the fans to watch La Casa del Toro, del Terror. And now you can get it primarily, they've got English subtitles. And my, my, all my movies are pretty much into with English subtitles, you know? Excellent, excellent. Yeah, I agree 100% with you. Don't watch don't watch Face of the Screaming Werewolf. Watch La Casa del Terror, a.k.a. House of Terror. I really enjoyed it. It was fun and funny. Um, you know, it had some great moments and it's great to watch late at night. And the best thing about it is you get some more Cheney Wolfman, which I had no idea this was out there. And really? I, it was such a treat to, to find out that he had done the Wolfman once again for scenes that had, we had never seen or I had never seen before. So I was so grateful for that. I keep, highly keep, recommend keep, it. Keep in mind that it was 1960. It's the end of his career practically. Yeah. He was he was doing a lot of these low. He did a lot of stuff with Jerry Warren. Yeah, Cheney did. You know, he he did. You know, he did all these movies with Jerry Warren. I mean, you know, and and, and you know, he just wanted the House of Black Death. You know, it's a very John Carradine and, and Cheney together in, in you know in 1965. And Warren he took and padded out that film and edited it with other movies. You know, and then retitled the film. And I guess Cheney was okay with that as long as he was getting, you know, he was getting paid a very good right. sum, whatever, you know, <laughs> to, to keep growing. But then that's the end of the career, you know, when you get to that, when you get to the last stage, I guess. And keep in mind, Cheney was a man. I mean, I, I, I tell you what, I'm a huge fan of Cheney Jr. I'm a huge fan of Cheney Sr., especially the senior. But Cheney Jr. was also in the 1940s, did a series of mystery thrillers horror type supernatural movies yep. the inner sanctum series that he did that's right was awesome yeah he did all those and he was very but you know cheney was involved with a lot of he did westerns he did a lot of westerns he did comedy and believe it or not Ch Ch lon cheney jr was in a western comedy with dean martin and jerry lewis oh right what was the title of that one partners oh right partners it was partners it was a Western with Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin, and Cheney was in it. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, and, and, and like I said, he was a very versatile throughout the 40s and the 50s, you know, in the early 60s. Cheney was doing a lot of films, good movies. Yeah. He was still doing some A to B type pictures. He was pretty well known. But then after that, 60s rolled in, mid-60s, and he started doing all of these, all these uh, low-budget movies, because I guess... It's, it's all that there was. There wasn't really nothing else for him to do. You know? Right. He's at the end of his career, practically. You know? Right. So, uh, so he did these movies, but he will always be remembered as the master to me. You know, Cheney Jr. will always be, to me, you know, Creighton Toll Cheney. That was his real name. Right. Creighton, Creighton Toll Cheney. Yeah. You know, he was born in 1906 from his father, Lon Cheney Sr., Sr., and... Uh, he was he was scared us. He was he was Alucard, the son of Dracula. He was in the Ghost of Frankenstein. I mean, and then he did a lot of good movies too. Did you ever see Of Mice of Men? I was Mice just going to bring that up. He plays Lenny in, in Of Mice and Men, and that's one of his most fantastic performances. You know, exactly. So I mean, you know, I I have to say one thing that you know his career was really amazing. I got to meet 
the grandson of Cheney. Oh, nice. You know, I met him at the, he'd been doing the, the, uh, uh, the conventions. Uh, Ron Cheney, I don't know if you know who Ron Cheney, yes. that was his, gra- his grandson, yep. or his great-grandson, one, one, one or the other. And I met the uh, Cheney Entertainment family, I met the daughters, and I met, I have a lot of, you know, a few collectibles from the Cheney Entertainment, including some uh, some uh, some stills and some lithographs in 3D from, from the Wolfman and Lone Cheney Jr. And he always talked, you know, he gave the Q&As at the convention about his great-grandfather and his great great grandfather and stuff like that, uh, Cheney Senior, yeah, and how they're still, you know, he, this was really how horror really came into place in the days of the early silent era and the early 1900s. You know, to have Cheney as the man of a thousand faces and have his son Junior as the second man of a thousand faces because he also he did the roles and he was very good in makeup. A lot of the movies that he did. Right. So, um, but anyway, yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed, I recommend uh, La Casa del Terror, The House of, of Terror the, with, with Tin Tan. You know, you want to check that movie out, you know? I mean, it's Absolutely. a good movie, you know? Absolutely. Very good. So, Juan, uh, thanks for joining me. And where can the listeners find you online? Well, you can go to my website. I have a website. It's called uh, it's www.fifthdimensionfilms.net. And you can go on there and you can view all my Mexican. I have over 200 Mexican horror film titles. I have all the Lucha Libres. I have all of these films on there. And I give good little plot synopsis and I get photos and pictures and give a little story on each one on basically all these films. Nice. So, I mean, you know, and I also, you know, I want to emphasize one thing. We talked a little bit about, you know, regular, you know, the Warrior movies, but this this side of the this side of the show for Mexican slash horror comedies, um, they're really good. I mean, I really I really like I like Clavijaso in the Castle of Monsters because the the Castle of Monsters is one of my favorites. Second to this one, the Castle of Monsters is one of my all time favorites from 1957. And actually, that movie has Herman Robles, El Vampiro. He reprises his role in, in that movie as El Vampiro. And in that one, you got a creature from the Black Lagoon, you got a mummy, you got a werewolf, you got all these monsters in there. They call the Castle of Monsters. If you haven't seen that one, Roger, I highly recommend that one too. Excellent, excellent. Well, Juan, thank you so much for joining me, and I look forward to doing this again soon. Okay, Roger, take care and have a good night. Okay. Okay. Take care. All right. Bye bye. <laughs> Well, folks, that's all the time we have for today's episode of this year's 13 Days of Hallowtober. Don't forget to check out our website at havenpodcasts.com, where you'll find our other shows, The East Meets the West, in which we discuss Shaw Brothers Kung Fu films and spaghetti westerns from the 60s to the 80s, and the Cult Movie Lounge, where we talk about all cult movies all the time. And check out our live monthly streaming show, Fright Lounge, in which the best horrorologists in town discuss horror media for the seasoned horror fan, as well as introducing newbies to the genre. And at our website, you can also find my blogs, Then Is Now, The Films of John Saxon, and Horror Films of the 1970s. If you like what you're hearing, please go to wherever you download your podcast from and leave us a great review so that other listeners can find us. Thank you for joining us today, and have a wonderful October. Now podcast is.
is intended for entertainment, educational, and informational purposes only. Sounds, music, and clips played during this podcast are the property of their copyright holders. All original content is copyright Jupiter Media. For more shows like the one you just heard, check out the Dorkening Podcast Network at thedorkening.com.